Welcome back to the 430 Movie. We got our expert programmers here to curate Fantasy Theme Week's of classic film from 1998 film directed by Steven Soderbergh called Out of Sight yes Soderbergh directs it with such a sort of confident self-assured style Lex Luthor in Superman what is it about Gene Hackman that uh... his performance it's off the charts but still in reality fiendishly gifted 1981 Sam Raimi Opus The Evil Dead oh yes fine choice Sam Raimi invented entirely new ways to get shots that should not have been possible with the amount of money that he did not have charade oh directed by Stanley Donnan it's a textbook screenplay it's just effortless and there's not a wrong note in this movie can't say enough great things about it we'll be back next Friday with an all new episode of the 430 movie wherever you listen to podcasts join us now for the 430 Movie. The 430 Movie Podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And if you're a fan of this podcast, you already know the 50-year mission is the definitive oral history of Star Trek. And Secrets of the Force will tell you everything you want to know about the history of Star Wars. But what you probably don't know is Ed Gross and I have a new book coming out this July. They shouldn't have killed his dog. The complete uncensored ass-kicking oral history of John Wick, Gun Fu, and the new age of action. Coming from St. Martin's in hardcover, digital, and audio. You can order it today. Sundays on Electric Now. Tune in to the official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast with me, Yell Teagle, and my co-host, Felicia Michelle. Each week, we'll be breaking down another episode of Leverage Redemption. Plus, we've got exclusive interviews with the stars, as well as some games, and we'll even be showing off some amazing fan art. So after you watch Leverage Redemption on IMDb TV, you'll definitely want to join us here to catch all the Easter eggs and behind-the-scenes fun. The official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast. Sundays on Electric Now. If you like listening to this podcast, you'll love watching us on Electric Now, the free video streaming app featuring video versions of all your favorite Electric Surge podcasts, along with full seasons of The Librarians, Leverage, the exclusive Leverage Redemption After Show, as well as Flash Gordon serials, hysterical comedy specials, and much more. Download it today from your favorite app store or watch us on Roku, Stir, DistroTV, Zumo, Sling, or Plex. Welcome to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me, as always, is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. This is part two of our series about unmade phantasm projects, and we're going to pick up the conversation right where we left off with our guests, Steven Romano and Peter and Ryan from the Best TV Never Made podcast. There were several different Phantasm projects. We did a remake thing, which was, from my knowledge, the first soft reboot concept ever thrown out there before Star Trek did it. I think Star Trek was the first one that really successfully did it, where they where they rebooted something without having to literally, you know, remake it, right? They had the original guy in there, Spock was in there. We were going to have Reggie handed off to a new generation of kids, kind of in the same way, but we had a new a Mike and a new Jody. And they, but, but they were sort of reinvented in a new reality and in that kind of oddly, weirdly, kind of unexplained metaphysical way. 
And that was the one that was going to go at New Line for a while. And that was sort of spearheaded by Jeff Katz, who was the mastermind, one of the masterminds behind Snakes on a Plane. And he was a really crazy, amazing guy. <laughs> he came up with Freddy versus Jason versus Ash, which eventually became a, a, a comic book over there, I believe. Was it a boom, Ryan? Uh, I, was, I don't believe that, so. Well, it was like Dynamite. That dynamite, was a Dynamite, yeah. wasn't it? But that, that yeah, was the subject of a previous episode we did. If people want to go back and listen to our Freddy versus Jason versus Ash episode. So that was like March. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was like mid 2000s, 2005, the new line reboot situation around. Yeah. Well, that was Jeff. You know, he was just a nutty up and coming development executive at New Line. And he was talking with Don and they wanted to do a thing. And I did a draft or two of, of that project with Coscarelli. And then eventually they were going to bring in Steven Susco, I believe, to do the actual script, which was fine with me. I was just happy to be there. And uh, then we, what happened was in, in uh, 2004, Don approached me with the idea of taking the three TV scripts that I had written and combining them into a single feature film script which would be called Phantasm Forever and contain an almost episodic structure because it was episodes of a TV show originally, but have a kind of, you know, coherent thing going on. And so, it, you know, they, they talk about it or Dustin talks about it in Phantasm Exhumed in pretty, in a lot of detail in terms of what it's about and, and about the structure of it and everything. But we were in the middle of doing that when uh, Mick Garris called up uh, Don and said, time to do Masters of Horror. And so we put everything on hold and we took Joe, Dan uh, Joe, Joe Dante's, we took Joe Lansdale's great story incident on and off a mountain road and made it into a killer, very ambitious screenplay. And uh, in April of the next year, which was 2005, we, we went up to Vancouver to shoot that MF and <laughs> <laughs> A more, a more, a more fiery trial by fire. I could not imagine. It was a very difficult shoot, but you know, we made a pretty good movie. He made a pretty good movie. It was, uh, it was something else. And Ethan Embry owned that movie. <laughs> we, at that point, he was only like known for playing nice yeah, guys. Yeah, that really and like changed that his <laughs> career in a way. Because now I feel like that's mostly the type of parts he plays. Uh, which you would never would have guessed you know, back he, when you're he, watching that thing you do or, you know, Empire Records. I know, I know. He came into the audition wearing a Leonard Skinner t-shirt with a bald shaved head. And he essentially threw the script over his shoulder and just started riffing. It was something else. I still have that MP3 of his audition because I was sent the auditions and everything. And they were, they were looping me in. I was, I was absolutely amazed that he was letting me that far into the process. And uh, Don was just like, there's our guy. I mean, that, that kind of unpredictable energy is what he wanted in the movie. And, uh, and it, it, it kind of shows, you know, I mean, there were a lot of compromises that we had to make because we couldn't do everything we wanted to do. I mean, if you're, if you're writing a, a, a low budget, I mean, it was $2 million, but I mean, it was a union shoot. You could only buy so much in Vancouver with that. But like, don't ever write a movie that takes place all in one night during a rainstorm with lightning flashing everywhere <laughs> and special effects and people on crucifixes, you will not be happy during that shoot at all. But, um, you know, nothing good ever happens without uh, a lot of effort. And then once we finished that, we went right back to work on Phantasm Forever. And what happened was we finished the script. 
Don had a lot of input into it. He had a lot of ideas. And one of them, which is talked about in that Phantasm Exhume book, is that we were going to bring back the mic from Phantasm 2, played by James Lee Grow from Point Break and, of course, yeah. Phantasm 2. Yeah. And we were going to make him a character, you know, and he was going to confront the other mic and they were going to, they were going to have a battle at the end. So not only, <laughs> that was Don's crazy idea. So you guys were so not we only ahead of um, the, the current requel trend, as I think people have started to call these legacy yeah. reboots. You were also ahead of the like multiverse in yes. cinema trend. Yeah, sort of, yeah. <laughs> that was I, kind I of the idea, that. but it was, it was all sorts of intersecting realities. And I was happy to see that, that at the, in Phantasm Ravager, they even honored that quite a bit, actually, by suggesting that there are a lot of different intersecting realities. They didn't use the coma dreamer idea, but they, they talked about there being a lot of different uh, planes of existence that you can travel in and out of because you've got a space gate. Sure, do it. You know, I mean, it's mm -hmm. pretty cool. So, so you know, I, I, it, it, was, uh, it was all very uh, 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 fun and we developed the script and, and uh, it, was, it was different from any other Phantasm movie that had been made because it went further into characters. I'm a dialogue writer. I, I, they hate that at Lifetime, but like I like writing scenes of di dialogue <laughs> where people actually talk to each other. And so the, the, the Phantasm films are not really known for long scenes of dialogue. And so Don was kind of on the fence about it, to be honest. He wasn't sure if it was going to work. And there were a lot of other reasons too. At the time, DV movies weren't a big deal. There were some ambitious scenes in there. We weren't sure if we could pull off. It had a post-apocalyptic angle to it. So we got the whole cast together and I invited my friend, Ashley Lawrence from the Hellraiser films to come in and play a new part in the movie. And they shot the table read, which is fairly legendary also. There's, there's some information online about that too. It was a the long day of shooting. Anywhere though, is it? No, 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 no. Don's sitting on that. I, I don't know. I've never <laughs> even seen it. <laughs> I don't even. I mean, I've seen maybe a little, couple little clips of it. But the idea was that they shot it in front of a green screen, so they could key in backgrounds and kind of get a moving storyboard for the movie and see if it would work. And I was really impressed. I mean, Gloria came to play Rocky again, and she did. A, I am going to spoil this because I'm just going to spoil it. She dies in the in the movie. And she has a death scene and she cried like real tears, like in Mike's arms. And apparently he helped her quite a bit with that, with something he whispered in her ear or something, which I was unaware of at the time, but she was really amazing. And they were all really into it. And it was a, I mean, that's the kind of dream experience yeah, a fan of films can only, can only and, and I've played id Mike in the in the in the table read i mean i wasn't literally in front of the camera but i read his lines you know so that was fun i got to play the james like grow part and he had you know makeup people and camera guys and it was it was a fun experience it really was and at the end of it all we all signed our scripts to each other like you do at the end of a movie and and uh that became the only version of that that was ever made there there is a clip actually there is a a clip of it Online, I believe it's on my articles that I wrote about this in, in at Dread Central. There is a, a clip from the green screened version of it that's a shot of Michael standing in front of the tall man when he's confronting him at the end of the first like episode of the thing. And he and uh, uh, 
the tall man's going, it's only a dream. And Michael in a, in a riff on Phantasm 2 goes, no, it's not. And puts the gun to his head and blows himself away. Oh my God, what happened? You know, which gives you an idea of how dice rolling, you know, the, the whole script was, which is why Don liked it, I think. I mean, I couldn't speak for him, but I mean, I think that that's why he liked it because it was, it was different and it went in different directions. And um, so that was really the only tangible like result of that that was ever released to the world. And it was, it was sort of a, 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 a tribute video to the Alamo Draft House when that last, that first location finally closed. And they were congratulating Tim and Carrie on being this giant franchise, <laughs> you know, um, conglomerate owners. And uh, that was pretty much the end of that. And then I went on to other projects. Don and I actually worked on a number of other things after that together, including Bubba Nosferatu, a couple of unrealized things I probably shouldn't talk about, you know, but like there was always something going on. Uh, and, you know, then eventually I went off to do everything that I was going to do and, Don went and did John Dies at the end, which I may or may not end up being his last movie. I don't know. I, don't, I get the feeling like he might have retired on that one. I don't want to tell tales out of school, yeah. but, but at <laughs> one, point, one, one point after that, he did kind of come to me and went, never again! Because <laughs> he, he always has a rough time making movies. But I think a lot of people do. I mean, it's just a tough business to stay in love with, with, with doing. Because like, when, when you're in those trenches making those things, it's there's a lot of pressure on you to deliver, deliver, deliver. And you know, when we were making Masters of Horror together, I saw that in full on relief. It was it was a real education. And so if I can if I can say anything about any of this, it's it's that thanks guys because that was like my film school. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean. I hope he makes another movie, but I gotta say, uh, if he has to end on John dies at the end, that's a a good he, film he to go on. Better. Yeah, that's a great movie. Yeah, it I is. love that movie. Same here. I, uh, I I have a, a small cameo appearance in that film, and that I I did a book of movie uh, of a thing called Shock Festival. Are any of you familiar with this at all? Shock Festival sounds no. familiar. One of the things I went off to do after Phantasm Forever didn't happen was that I got much more interested in doing publishing work and, and, and because you're, you get tired of seeing your scripts not get made and things like that. And so I got into writing books, novels and everything. One of the books I did, I spent two years of my life doing this. It's called Shock Festival, 101 of the strangest, sleaziest, most outrageous movies you've never seen. Well, I made them all. love that. Yeah, no, I made every one of them up. It was like Spinal Tap means Yeah, yeah. It, and so I spent two years of my life coming up with it. It's a big, thick coffee table book. You can still get it on Amazon, I think. And, it, and I, you know, IDW eventually published it. It's a, it's a book of, of over 600 pieces of memorabilia from films that you've never seen. And so I had to create all of this and a whole stories of, of, of the makers of these films. So you flip through it. There's this blocks of text about, oh, this crazy guy named Darby Silver who hacked up his wife after he made this Australian <laughs> slasher movie. You know, all of this stuff, you know, Darby Silver, you know, Daniel Argento. Anyway, the point is that, that <laughs> we, uh, we, we did this book and then, yeah, Don really liked the posters in it. So he, he used a bunch of them in John Dies. And uh, it, so every time you see Dave's house in that movie, those are posters from my book. <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> so, so cool. Nice. And uh, also uh, Dave Parker used them in the, in the, the Hills Run Red. He's a director friend of mine. 
Yeah, Pilsner and Red is a great movie. Yeah, it's great. I, they they had to kind of truncate the ending of that movie, but it's still pretty tough. I like that film a lot. Um, and uh, there was one other movie that my posters from shot. Oh, that movie uh, uh, that Joe Lynch uh, did with those other guys um, was it called Chillerama. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. the, the posters from Shock Festival show up in that too. It was pretty popular for a while. Uh, well, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk to you about Bubba Nosferatu. Oh yeah, can you tell us a little yeah. bit about? I mean, both how that was even coming to be, and obviously uh, what was in it. Well, you know, it, it, there's a lot of ink out there on this, so I'm not really telling tales out of school yeah. necessarily. I, I I can tell you pretty much what's going on with that. Um, you know, he wanted to make Bubba 2, you know, and he had a lot of different ideas about it. Um, and he was working with Joe Lansdale for a while, who's also a great friend of mine, and because, uh, you know, we're from Texas. And, uh, <laughs> you know there was some approach or another that they couldn't either come to an agreement on or Joe wasn't, wasn't available to work with them. I can't remember exactly how that intersected, but I was living out in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I was in the woods outside Fayetteville, Arkansas. I was dealing with my mother's unfortunate tragic death. And, um, and uh, I get this call from Don Coscarelli saying, look, I got to write this script because Paul Giamatti wants to play Colonel Tom Parker in this movie. That was the last call I ever expected to get. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, know, so um, the first thing he wanted to to think about was, was who is Baba Nosferatu? You know, what is it? And and I started, I was thinking in my head, I'm thinking Lance Henriksen. I'm thinking near dark, you know, I'm thinking, you know, uh, uh, know, long hair and braids and dusty cowboy boots and stuff, fangs and all that. they don't have fangs in Near Dark, which I love, by the way. Near Dark mm-hmm. is my favorite vampire movie, by the way. I love that movie so much. Um, and it's the movie that nobody ever thinks about when they think about Catherine Bigelow either. It's like they, they always just forget about that and go straight to Point Break for some reason. <laughs> but, and, but so, yeah, we, we were thinking about that for a while and that went away and we started thinking of other ideas and it became a coven of vampires. And... Uh, you know, Don wanted to do a thing that kind of like Phantasm 2, where it picks up right off the ending of the first movie. You see Elvis at the end of Baba Hotep, and uh, he's basically dead, and his, and his, uh, and his uh, nurse revives him on the bank of the river. And after their shenanigans, they get booted out of there, and he goes to another rest home in Louisiana, which just so happens to be the place where he, as a young man, was trying to make a... a, a uh, a uh, vampire horror film for his comeback with Colonel Tom Parker producing it. And of course, <laughs> Colonel Tom Parker was a vampire. <laughs> you know? So it all ties into the current story. Those are flashbacks that intercut with the current story of old Elvis, who shows up in this weird New Orleans rest home. And he meets this guy who thinks he's chief sitting bull, you know, or may actually be who knows. And uh, hijinks ensue and madness and mayhem and, uh, you know, we threw it around for several months. We had a really good time writing it together. Um, we had a lot of cool zinger lines in there. It's things like, you know, I remember one thing that Don liked was a scene where I, I had old Elvis coming up to these guys in his wheelchair or his walker. And they're, they're messing with it. It's at a gas station and they're messing with his, with his uh, nurse. And, and he goes, I got this two questions for you boys. 
left or right? <laughs> Brilliant, right? <laughs> Genius, isn't it? So it was stuff like that. You know, you had to come up with cool, zippy little things to do. And um, oddly enough, Bruce Campbell didn't like it at all. Um, so yeah, that, that was the death of that project, unfortunately, was that, was that Bruce didn't care for the script. However, uh, Paul Giamatti, who was also producing the movie, just loved it. He couldn't say enough great things about it and talk really nice about us in public. And it almost got made a bunch of times. And it's still on my IMDb page more than 16 years since it was not made. So, I mean, you can't beat that. You know, that's great at cocktail parties. It's, yeah, yeah. It's on there as <laughs> oh, yeah. in development. Or... <laughs> yeah. Did... Right alongside all my, my Lifetime movies. I assume uh, after Campbell turned it down, uh, were, the, were any other actors approached to play Elvis? Absolutely. A lot of them. Uh, we went after everybody from Kurt Russell to you name it. Um, oh, that would have been fun. Kurt playing Elvis yeah. again. <laughs> now, Don, Don has a story, apparently, in his book where he talks about offering the part to Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who was who was involved with us in making the movie. What I remember, and this is just what I remember, I could be wrong. What I remember is that initially he was approached Dwayne The Rock Johnson to play, you know, Bubba Nosferatu. The, the, the male leader of the vampires who reported to this old crone in a wheelchair. And it was this really interesting matriarchal type thing. Um, and he was gonna, you know, have the braids and everything. It would be pretty interesting. Um, but what ended up happening was, was Bruce just shot us down like right away. He didn't, he, he wasn't gonna budge on what he felt. There were some meetings, we were ready to, to give in on some points. He wasn't willing to, to, to budge on others. Uh, that's about as far as I can go and, you know, necessarily talking about the details of all of that. But there were there were some pretty depressing moments there. Um, so over the next year or so, um, Don went after different people and eventually they settled on Ron Perlman, who was going to play him. Uh, and that was their go to guy. That was the that was the guy who was going to play Elvis in the in the sequel. And we thought maybe he would be played by a different guy in each film. You know, <laughs> that would be kind of fun. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Keep going and going. <laughs> sure, you know maybe make and at one point Bob he wanted to do Bubba Sasquatch, you know, which is be... kind of crazy in itself. You know, hey. in fact, I think that was actually in the screenplay for the the first draft that he showed me that we worked on. I think that he actually at, had a Bubba Sasquatch moment in there, if I recall correctly. But I, I again, that was a while back, and I haven't looked at it in a long time. But but yeah, you know. Uh, um, Everybody, I think Nick Cage was even approached at Ooh, one point. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying any of it ever went anywhere, but these were all ideas that were floated, and and uh, and and I think actually Kurt Russell's people were were contacted at one point. It was well, just a, what what Joe Lansdale referred to as a snake bit project. Unfortunately, it just was never going to happen for one well, reason or another. But never say never. It might yeah. still happen. Ne maybe, maybe this new, the new you Baz Luhrmann, Tom Hanks, yeah. uh, Elvis movie will you get know? some interest going. I was going to say, yeah. That. Younger generations now know who Colonel Tom Parker is. So, right? You know, I just saw that yesterday and I, I was blown away because they make him kind of like a vampire in that yeah. movie. The whole movie is so operatic and superhero-like, you know, that that he comes off like some sort of evil creature from hell in that mm -hmm. movie. And, and 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 Elvis himself comes off like this, you know, 
rhinestone studded superhero the whole time. And if it weren't for the few moments, I think in the movie where he actually cries and shows a sensitive side, it might be completely worthless, but you know, it does in fact introduce many generations to the idea of who Colonel Tom Parker was, who was a very important guy. And uh, who knows, maybe that'll get our movie greenlit finally. I don't know. That'd be yeah. great. That'd be a weird phone call to get, man. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, this, thing, this thing's finally going. I, I don't know, guys. Hey, you never know. Hopefully. I, I did do a, a comic book of, of, of it. It wasn't our thing, though. It was something that Joe wrote called Bubba and the Cosmic Invaders or something like that. No, so, I don't know that one. Yeah, it was like it was it was a thing that IDW published. It was a Joe Lansdale original and it was yeah, it was like called Bubba and the Cosmic Invaders or something like that. And I know it tied somehow into the ending of Bubba Hotep, uh, but I don't know much else about it other than that. Um, but, you know, just give me a decent burial. I'll be OK. <laughs> Oh, do you do you remember anything about a Phantasm video game by any chance? To go back to that really quick, beats the hell out of me. I re- I remember there was a, 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 a an actual Texas Chainsaw Massacre video game. Oh yeah, which was done, <laughs> which was done by Charlie Band, you know. But but I the- have no idea if there was ever actually a Phantasm video game. It what? would make a really good video game now. Yeah, because I- of the world. Well, I heard it was like announced like at some point in the mid 90s or so, I mean, mid 2000s around the time you were situated. So I was just maybe it was just a rumor. I have no what, idea. I that would have been, no idea at all. I would have back, loved back a classic the, like Nintendo 8-bit <laughs> Phantasm <laughs> game where you're you're Reggie yeah. and you have to duck balls. Oh, that the dude, tall totally. man's just I, throwing at you. They did one for oh, Warlock. Yeah. <laughs> they, did, they did one for like Warlock and No Escape. Yeah, Warlock has a video, an oh, NES man. game. Or not any, I think it's a Sega Genesis game. Um, a bunch of those films. But I'm bummed about the Bubba Nosferatu thing, man. That that ah. just bums me out to hear. Because I would have been... Yeah, that's the number one, the number one uh, a p- occupational hazard of being a screenwriter at any level is that most of the time the movies you're involved with do not get made mm-hmm. and getting back to this whole thing about television just tying into your whole the whole concept of your podcast i went on from all this phantasm business to do a lot of other things and i i wrote novels and everything and during my period in publishing with the big new york houses um I, I collaborated with with Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan, who you probably know also. They they're, both, they're they've both they've been great. on a very long episode of our podcast because they've had so many. Almost was. <laughs> yes, I mean it's insane. This guy's taint. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's nuts. You know the 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 um, amount of projects they've been involved in that haven't flown. I mean they were involved with the Halloween reboot for a mm. while. Everything. You know, yeah, I mean, it's not. And so I was introduced to them by an editor I was working with at Little Brown, a company named John Schoenfelder, who was very film savvy. And he wanted to get all these estranged projects together and make novels out of them because at the time print was in trouble. I don't know what it's like now because I haven't been there for a while, but um, he was rounding up scripts from people like J.J. Abrams, whose book he eventually did publish, and uh, Shane Black, a few other guys like that. And Patrick and Marcus had this thing called The Ghost whisperer i think is what it was called originally we eventually changed the title to blacklight he introduced me to them we got along really well and we made this novel called blacklight which is all about a guy who can consume and regurgitate ghosts and 
the, the book came out, you know, some people liked it, some people didn't, it's very original. Um, it all takes place on a high speed bullet train. It's kind of got a science fiction element to it. Uh, major battles with ghosts and epic scenes and all of this. And uh, eventually that was developed into a movie script. We had that with Michael DeLuca for a while, if you can believe that. Um, that went away pretty quickly. And then we developed it as a television series. And guess what? The television series sold. We actually sold it to ABC Family. It was a done deal. And on the day I literally got off the phone with the contracts department at, at, uh, at Disney, because they own ABC, um, I looked up and I was hit by a truck. What? <laughs> My life went into turnaround, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. While I was in the hospital, they, they, well, not while I was in the hospital, but while I spent a year learning how to walk again, they, they put our project in the turnaround. So it never got, you never saw Blacklight, the series, unfortunately we got paid, you know, but I I would have probably given up my paycheck if I, if I had known at least the series was going to get greenlit and, and go out there. So, you know, it's a frustrating business, you know, which is why it always helps if you have other things that you're interested in, like pu- publishing books, which don't get canceled. Because, you know, <laughs> you know filmmaking is a, is, a, is a racket run by people who, who love their jobs and they don't, they don't want anything to fail. And what happened at ABC Families, what typically happens with a lot of these projects is that a regime change happened and a bunch of new people came in. They looked at all the projects and they, they axed all of them and they, they got rid of us, unfortunately. And meanwhile, I'm, I've got a bum leg in the, in the process. Oh, man. I think that's a first on our podcast of a, a project didn't happen because you got hit by a truck. <laughs> well, it wasn't because of that necessarily, but it did, it did. It was it was like the old story where you got a guy with a million bucks in his hand and he looks up and he gets creamed by a truck. You know, I mean, really, you can't make this shit up. You know? So it, it's it's a uh, it's a crazy world we live in. But you know, I I was happy to have the money. It helped with my recovery. So you know, that was. And then I'm, one of my other novels from that period of time, uh, Resurrection Express, which I'm very proud of, a, a sci-fi tinge thriller that I wrote and it was published by Simon Schuster. That was optioned for film by a producer named Pierre David, whom I'm sure you've all oh, heard yeah. of. Yeah, yeah. Scanners. Scanners, Videodrome of Unknown Origin with Peter Weller, which is one of my favorite horror films directed by oh, George yeah, it's a great one. Oh, it's terrific. Uh, Visiting Hours with Michael Ironside. Oh, um, yeah. That's good. He produced Platoon. You know, I mean, Pierre's a major player. Uh, now his business is making Lifetime movies. And while we were waiting around for Resurrection Express to get greenlit, which never happened, unfortunately, because that's the number one occupational hazard of screenwriters. <laughs> uh, I saw that he was making all these Lifetime movies and I went, man, it ain't no fun waiting around to be a millionaire, buddy. Can you hire me to write one of those? And I'll never forget this because it really speaks to the integrity of the man. He said, well, I have all the writers I need this year, but I'll give you a call next year and we'll do business. Yeah. Right. Tell me. (laughs) Right. I've heard that so many times with so many people or a version of that. Right. Um, So I went off and I got a grant from the Stephen King Haven foundation to live for a year while I was recovering uh, from my broken leg um, it's a it's an organization that Stephen King started called the Haven Foundation. I that didn't gives know that existed. Yeah, did I? Yeah, to struggling writers who and my story was exactly what happened to Stephen King, yeah. which made him make the the foundation in the first place. So I got some money to live on for a year, 
And Pierre called me a year later and said, what do you got for me? And he gave me a two picture deal and I've been working with him ever since. Oh, dude, wow. good for you, man. That's awesome. It's crazy. You know, the, 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 that's, that's what a, a screenplay filmmaking career tends to be, a series of opportunities and doors that you hopefully are brave enough to open and, and maybe something good happens to you. Wow. Well, that's, I'm happy there's a good ending to that at least. Oh, well, one more, one more question. Is it, was it true? Cause this was like a rumor. Was JJ Abrams ever attached to like the phantasm remake back in the mid aughts? I mean, I know it, I can't believe it would be true, but I just wanted to ask. As, as far as I know, that was never a thing, but he did get involved with restoring the original mm-hmm. film as you probably know. Yeah. The four, I mean, their logo was in front of it. So yeah, yeah. no, JJ has always been a huge, listen to me, JJ. Like I know the guy, um, <laughs> I don't, by the way. Uh, he was always a huge fan of the Phantasm films like we all are. He was a nerdy guy who's our age, or is my age anyway. I'm 52. And he grew up with those films and loved Angus Scrim. So that's why he cast him in his TV show. Yeah, an alias. You know? and, yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, what happened, I believe, uh, was... I was that uh, he wanted to show the movie to his people at Bad Robot. And he called Don and said, hey, I'd like to show your movie. And Don said something to the effect of, um, well, I, I have a I have a print, but it's falling apart. It doesn't look good. And JJ just said something to listen to me again. JJ, like, yeah. I, know <laughs> uh, <laughs> I said something to the effect of, well, let's let's take a look at it and see if we can't restore it. So it was a secret for a long time. And then they announced it. And what a great thing. I mean, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, it was very exciting when that bad robot <laughs> happened. Yeah, because I remember that was it was all kind of tied up with. That's why um, uh, Phasma, the character from the new Star Wars movie, oh, yeah. Yeah. was named yeah. after yeah. Phantasm. That's exactly what that came from. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, so I saw the, that's not a rumor. That's actually real. That 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 is, that is very much inspired by Phantasm and the and the look of her character. Yeah, her too, chrome. Uh, yeah. pretty mask. It's pretty, that's pretty rad. Yeah, because I saw the 4K with the double feature with Ravenger at Beyond Fest. And I thought that was the looked. sound was, I think, the most impressive part of that for me, seeing it up on a big screen and just like, obviously, it looked great. But the the restored sound was particularly wonderful. Man, my my only theatrical experience with Phantasm, the first one was at Phantasm Mania. I never saw it in the theater. I was a little bit too young when it first came out. I was nine years old and I, I was scared by horror films. I hadn't yet been, I hadn't yet seen Halloween or Dawn of the Dead, which were the movies that just ruined me. But <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I saw, I, you know, I finally saw it in 35 millimeter on a big screen at Phantasm Mania. And man, a more religious experience watching that movie you will not find because not only did we have a whole theater packed with fans but we had a bunch of hemicuda you know like barracuda car nuts there like every time that car was on the screen people were just going (laughs) yeah it was just unbelievable it was unbelievable and at the end of it when he gets abducted through the mirror you could have heard us in the next state it was just so great it was like it was like i i i I don't want to brag or anything but i'm old so i i was there when uh, when empire strikes back and return of the jedi came out in movie theaters and so i was i i was there on the first day those movies came out and again, you couldn't hear the movie because we were so busy going, 
yeah, Han Solo rules and all that. Yeah. I mean, it was just unreal. You know, I, it was that kind of experience. Seeing aliens for the first time in a theater with an audience that had never seen anything like that before. Aliens was real innovative and nothing quite like that had been done yet. And uh, at the end of it, when she says, get away from her, you bitch. I mean, again, you could you could hear us in the next state. And they even <laughs> said so in the review in the Houston Chronicle the next day. You say, oh, oh, man, he has the moxie to put a left line in the in the end. It's so amazing that it blows the doors out of the theater. You, you got to <laughs> see this thing. And we were right there in the front row just screaming like maniacs. And so, yeah, that 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 was not only was that a great experience, but it, it was heightened by the fact that Don had just struck that print of Phantasm. It was like fresh. I don't think he'd ever even projected it, but maybe one other time. So oh. it was uh, just super special for, for all of us. It was, I mean, if I had never had, had any involvement with him in any other way, just that would have been something I'd take to my grave. I will put that on my tombstone. Just, <laughs> just carve that. Up. That's beautiful. Was that Phantasm? <laughs> blue Damn. doors off alien screening i know i love that I did, a, I did a podcast once with a bunch of kids who 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 just couldn't believe it you know when i would say things oh i saw a creep show in the theater when it came out no way man <laughs> <laughs> no one was alive when that movie came out <laughs> Oh man, that I think one of them even got really smarmy with me. The one, one of them even said, "Oh, well, was the guy giving you a hand job? Well, well, you was the director there with you? Come on, damn! You mentioned all the movies I wanted to see so bad, and I just couldn't. Like Creep Show and uh, Aliens, and I, I got to see Rocky Five opening night, and all the Guidos in the theater were standing we up and hey, freaking screaming. Man. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> thing at the end. Man, they were like in Long Island. Man, they were going nuts. And Caddyshack too, I saw. We mentioned last episode, so we're not as cool as aliens, man. Uh, when it went, because I'm from Minnesota, <laughs> when I saw Fargo in the theater, and I remember someone shushed me for laughing at a joke, and I was like, "Did these <laughs> oh, people God, not God. realize this movie is a comedy? What's happening?" Uh, oh, that's too weird funny. crowd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, this is it. Yeah, um, this is based on a true story. Respect these people, they <laughs> died. <laughs> yeah, I I didn't see Raising Arizona in the theater, but I saw Miller's Crossing and Barton Fink in the theater. Oh, I right. wept in the car on the way home from Barton Fink. That movie, oh, just, for some reason, I don't know why, but that movie just moved me to tears. I loved it so much. Also, one of my favorite classic look. Simpsons jokes where Bart's getting like left behind at the soccer field and the other kids are like, we're going to go see an R-rated movie. Barton <laughs> Fink. Barton Fink. I don't know why I love that so much. Sorry, I interrupted you, Romano, you were saying. Uh, no, no, I, you know, we're just pre-willing here. You know? <laughs> I, yeah, that, that summer of 88 when Phantasm 2 came out was a, another pretty glorious summer also. That, that, that that was the summer of Rambo three and, and yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street four. I actually really like Rambo three. I think it's like the star Wars of eighties action movies. They spent way too much money on every so much shot. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And they, that, that, that's... Like, even the shots of him just grabbing things. And that movie oh. is like, Oh, we spent $80,000 on that image. You know? Dude, I love the third act when it's all in the caves. They, he turns into Jason from Friday. The yeah. third, like taking <laughs> one out. I love that third act, man. It's so dope. It's also a great time capsule movie that we're, fighting alongside like the Taliban or whoever the 
freedom fighters were in Mujahideen. That. Mujahideen, right, <laughs> <Yes>. right. <laughs> like, the other the other years from the eighties were eighty six and eighty seven that I that I really liked a lot. The, and and uh, Fright Night was another film that I Evil that I got Dead to see. Too. Evil Dead 2, I saw that. I went back to see that so many times. I kept dragging people with me. And it was always a litmus test of who you wanted to stay friends with. You know, because because half of them would just would just hate you and the rest of them would go, wow, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen. And and like the other people who really took the first movie really seriously, because it's a much more serious movie in tone, you know, in quotes, of course. But, you know, I, I was fine with it being a comedy. I was, I was like, hey, whatever, man, let's just do this. This is, this is, it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. And that, and, and that, that was just kind of like uh, uh, the summer where you just let go of your, your pre expectations of just anything, you know, you were going to like, like when, like, with, I don't know what any of us thought we were going to get when we went in to see aliens, but I kind of knew sort of, because look, let's face it. The guy just made the Terminator and uh, it's probably going to be like that. I would imagine. Uh, yeah, it was pretty good. We thought That's, it was all right. That also, uh, obviously, we're getting wildly off topic, but uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't sorry. even remember. No, it's all good. I don't even remember why he was. <laughs> Bring me back in. Man. You want to know some more stuff about Phantasm? Wait, wait, I just wanted to say though, because now it does tie into people we at least talked about. But one of my favorite <laughs> things I ever heard, I remember in like high school, wherever I saw this, was Kurt Russell in some interview was talking about Evil Dead Two. And told a story of when James Cameron just like pulled up to the front of his house, probably in his like Humvee or whatever. And he's like, we're going to go see Evil Dead 2. And like drug Kurt Russell up to go watch it. (laughs) Uh, And then Kurt Russell was just like, it's amazing. Tool shed. He just like quoted that line. I was like, Kurt Russell and James Cameron love Evil Dead 2. Somehow that just made me so happy when I was younger. Um, But back to Phantasm and Mr. Romano. (laughs) Let's do this. I, I I have a question. I'm going to chime in here. Yeah. Um, you know, when when cause I have a copy of the comic book right here, I'm holding it up, but the Zoom background is killing me. Um, but uh, it's there. Uh, <laughs> but with the with the comic, it's it's set in a post apocalyptic future, right? And Mike yeah. is waking up like a hundred and I think it's hundred hundred years you know after the events, and he's been like yeah, it's like a hundred and a couple hundred years. Yeah. yeah, and yet from the sound of it, the movie wasn't going to take that tactic in the tv scripts was it a similar kind of was it more of the post-apocalyptic setting or was it more in the uh in the more present day kind of dream hospital type thing it it was and it wasn't um it it, first of all we couldn't afford to shoot any of that you know it was it was designed to be a low budget thing you know um when i first wrote things without having even met don um, I was thinking along those lines. It's a TV show. We, we got to be able to do it on some kind of budget, but also do ambitious ideas. And so, yeah, it started in the real world of like whatever the current day would be. Uh, and then in various episodes, they would go to different realities, which again happens in Ravager as well, um, where you kind of, you can go there briefly, but then you're back to something that's a little more familiar and let's just face it, easier to shoot. Uh, with the with the comic book series, all of those considerations went out the window, and so I, I decided, okay, let's let's really up the ante here and have big sets and large special effects and monsters everywhere, and let's just go crazy. 
it's still very much a sequel to the Phantasm films. It picks up after part four, uh, but it does, it, Michael does awaken in a version of the Nightmare Hospital, which is far more futuristic and advanced and in, and in the future, literally. Uh, and he meets a, a, a doctor, which is not the character that was in the, the comics, uh, uh, but I named him uh, John Quejada which is a nod to Roberto Quejada, the producer of Phantasm II. And, you know, subtle, aren't I? Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, so, uh, uh, you know, he, he wakes up, uh, Michael wakes up and he, he explains all of this stuff to him. Yeah, you've been in a coma, you've been in this stasis tube for 100, 150 years. There's all these other people that are just like you. Rocky is one of them. She's been reanimated recently. And... I built a story from there that essentially used a lot of elements of the television uh, scripts, but reinvented them in much more elaborate ways that we could just really get nuts with. You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. Let's get nuts. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, it, it, it was a it was a bigger palette, and I and only one issue came out uh, for various reasons. We weren't able to continue the series, but the, the other issues would have continued that story and brought it into the wasteland. Um, but it wasn't the same plague zone thing that, that Don had envisioned and that Roger Avery had come up with for Phantasm 99. It was basically the world had been taken over by the tall man but that we didn't have the plague. The plague was a whole thing that they invented for Phantasm 99 that makes your head blow up. And that was also referenced quite briefly, uh, but still it was referenced in Ravager as well. That was in one of the realities you you actually got to see one of the plague victims and their head blew up. One of the great things about Dave Hartman, the guy that directed that, is that he's this real DIY filmmaker who, who just believes anything is possible if you just squint hard enough at it and, and throw enough you know, in spit polish and ingenuity. I mean, he did this incredible series uh, called Laser Fart. Have any of you seen this? No. <laughs> Great title. He got together with, with Dan Harmon, you know, the legendary writer of Community and, and just did these shorts in his backyard of this laser farting superhero. Dan Harmon actually plays the guy. <laughs> and it, it, they're online. You can find yeah. them. They're hilarious. They're hilarious. There's he does he does a Halloween episode where at one point like they're he's he's in his civilian disguise and he's struggling with the vampire and then his shirt comes away and you see the laser fart uniform underneath it and the and the vampire just goes what's what's up with you you know it's just weird humor and so he just goes out and does stuff and his real job David Hartman. Is, is as an animation director. You know, he does a lot of Transformers. He did the Godzilla TV, uh, the cartoon show and Winnie the Pooh and stuff like that. You know, and he's a beautiful uh, church going family man, but he's also this uh, berserk artist and he's worked on a lot of Coscarelli's films. He was a special effects supervisor on Bubba Hotep and also John Dies. He's even in that movie. And, you know, so they, they you know, they, they had a great collaboration on Phantasm Ravager, which just started as a series of webisodes and it sort of evolved into what it ended up being. There's a lot of ink about that too. So, you know, it, 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 Ravager kind of took a lot of free hanging ideas and just sort of reinvented them into a new tapestry. And uh, I thought it was very loving, you know, I thought, I thought it, it had a lot of life to it and it, it was very honorable in the, 
I, I even get, I even got a special thanks credit in that for, a, <laughs> for, a, for my little contributions to it. Yeah. And it's very cool. You know, I, I, it lives on and maybe who knows, you know, maybe they'll actually, and in the day, in this day and age of everybody needs five zillion television shows mm -hmm. on their Tubi channel, you know, maybe that somebody will give them some money to actually do a Phantasm TV show that would be, you know, like Westworld, you know, a real, you know, uh, mind scrambler show that you would you could have multiple realities in or whatever you know i really like the the dice rolling sci-fi shows that are out there these days they they it's like the stuff i always wanted to see if you had told me when i was a kid in the 1980s that we were going to have an x-rated super ultra violent sex-filled gore soaked ultra big budget hundred million dollar remake of Westworld that was like you know that was just yeah, on HBO I would have just said you were nuts but that's all out there and, yeah. oh and it's got Ed Harrison by the way so you know that, if, and when I was a kid if you'd that been like be by the way at some point there's going to be so many superhero movies you will be bored of them I'd be like bullshit <laughs> How, that would have to be so many for me to one. get <laughs> yeah <laughs> They would have had Thank to make you. like my, 40 of them for me to get bored. My, my fiance is forcing me to watch Miss Marvel. And I, you know, I, 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 I kind of, I sort of maxed out with Moon Knight. I still watch these things kind of dutifully, but like. Did you I, finish I, I, Moon Knight? Yeah. Because yeah, I was I just going to say, when you were talking about some of your uh, <laughs> nightmare <laughs> hospital stuff, though, I was like, I feel like there was an episode of right? Moon Knight. That was very simple. Right? To no, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, but I really liked that element of Moon Knight where, you, where they pull the rug out from under. You're not quite sure. To me, that show was very much along the lines of what those guys normally do with their feature films, which are very mind scrambling also. I really like what those guys have done in the feature film world. Um, and I, when I heard they were doing a Marvel Comics TV series, I was like, really? But then again, I've liked some of those shows. I really liked the Loki show and I, and I really liked What If. I, I thought yeah, that that was cool. a really fun show. If you happen to be a super fan and you know the whole mythology I like the What If comics better. growing up. Yeah. Know. Yeah. What if Juggernaut, the man who can't be stopped, fought the blob, the man who can't be moved? I was like, <laughs> yes, I would like to know the answer to this question. My Age old conflict. Was, but my favorite one was always, um, what if Phoenix had not died? Because ah. she destroys the entire world at the end. And I was like, great, cool. Let's <laughs> do one of those. Anyway, getting off topic again. The, the, uh, we do it all the, the time. The, the, my my hope is that is that uh, yeah that well I, my vision I think or my my looking into the future I think phantasm may yet uh, you know survive in some form or another uh, provided they make Don the right offer right yeah he still owns it all no I mean again I, it's the kind of thing where just thinking of growing up and loving Evil Dead and know and how sick. Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell were of answering questions of when are you going to make evil dead for? And then they made three seasons of an evil dead TV show. Like that's the world we're living in now. No, so. And everybody yawned. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted yeah, the movie. I actually, I, I actually thought a lot of that show was good, but I found myself actually kind of going. Eh. So I did like that Lee majors was on it. I'll say that. That's mm, right. How cool is that? Now, yeah. if you had told me that, I would have also not believed you. Like, what? You're like, yes, one day the fall guy man. will play Ash's dad. That is just, 
effing nuts. And so, so like anything really does go. I mean, like if you, if you get enough people together in a development meeting, they will suggest pretty much anything. And, and I've been in those meetings (laughs) and sometimes (laughs) it happens and and sometimes it doesn't, but there's a huge demand now for streaming. Yeah. No, I, you know, it's unprecedented. They could, they could totally do it. It's entirely mean, possible. Yeah. I mean, we're getting a Hellraiser now again. Yeah, it's true. Every, a Hellraiser movie and TV series. Yeah. So it's all coming back. So, yeah, there's got to, I mean, it, he's, it's iconic Phantasm. So, you know, totally. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not as well known in the, in the, in the, in the bigger vernacular, I guess, but that doesn't mean it can't be. It's a creep and show, TV show, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I uh, actually submitted a couple of scripts for that, and uh, I don't think Greg liked them. <laughs> <laughs> that was well, the next. Okay. I ended up using them. Well, you know, it's funny because I, I ended up recycling them into this crazy thing that I did a few years ago on my fifty-first birthday. It was called Project Fifty One where I wrote 51 short stories in 24 hours. That, again, Peter, that's how crazy I am. That's how, that's how nutty I am. I will write 20, have 51 short stories, 24 hours. Yeah. So I, I use my creep show ideas and they were called the house that haunted Harry and amputation generation. <laughs> Great time. That was what I pitched to the creep show guys. Of course it didn't fly. You know, so. But a lot of guys, you know, like uh, Dave Scow and John Skip, you know, they got they got scripts over there, and you know, it's a pretty great show. I mean, it's a it's a real roll up your sleeves and put on a show kind of show, where they don't have a lot of money, but they have a lot of great ideas. And mm-hmm. some of those episodes, was fantastic. Ethan Embry again did some really great horror work. I thought was really good. And uh, yeah, I mean, who's to say that we can't do that again with uh, some phantasm business? Um, I'll get right on that as soon as I'm done with my 97th lifetime script. <laughs> when those are fun. Yeah. When, when is the, the ball going to show up in a lifetime movie? That's what I want to know. Well, it already has. It, Did it? Just, Did you it stick it in the background? <laughs> no, it was one of those, the one of those that didn't fly because oh. you know, our script always get canceled. You know, I, here's something for you talking about television, you know, you're talking about being a writer in TV and having your scripts not, not being made. I mean, when, when you do these Lifetime movies, you pitch nine of them and they decide which three they like. And then you write those. But there's always like a whole bunch of ideas that are just sitting around that don't get made. And maybe they narrow it down to like eight that they like. And then you have a big meeting and then everybody has an opinion. And uh and then they decide that you're going to do this. So the the best one of these that that I could, well not the best one, but the funniest one that I could throw out in this particular interview is is uh, is is that I went in there and I pitched them an erotic thriller about a about a girl who breaks up a family by having a lesbian affair with the mom, and then and then the dad ends up in a divorce, but he finds out they were playing him the whole time. And, and it's this really cool, like elaborate twisty thing. And it was going to be cool at lifetime. Let's do it. And then they said, you know, that's great. But what about like cheerleader escorts instead? <laughs> and you're like, um, sure. I'm not kidding. A true story. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What was the title of that one? So, you know, that's, that's just how the business is. Yeah. Wait, what Everybody's did you have a title own. for the, your pitch if you can even remember but for which one 
for the one they didn't want that they wanted to change into oh, it was called it was, it was called charity it was just called charity and originally it was deadly charity because that's the kind of title yeah. they usually go for but, but they said oh that's just that's too gaudy can we just make it into mm-hmm. charity i'm like okay great i actually i actually did another one called deadly influencer which i thought was a pretty good that's title, a great title Nice. My favorite title of any movie that I've done so far is a title that I didn't even come up with. It's called You Killed My Mother. <laughs> Love it. Love it. And, and what's even better is the actual opening credits shot of it. It just explodes on the screen in giant white letters and comes rushing towards you and blood splatters across it. And I'm like, this is like, I didn't even come up with that. That's great. <laughs> Those guys are awesome. <laughs> Can I do another one, please? <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a career, you know. And I I I should I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my comic book stuff because the I do a lot please of do. comic books. I I do comic books of my own imprint called Avon Press, which is a which is an H.P. Lovecraft reference, of course. That's in the movie The Beyond by Lucio Fulci. It's relevant to us because we do comic books that are based on the films of Lucio Fulci. They're all movie tie-in things. Well, not all of them. We do some original stuff too, but um, but we did you know House by the Cemetery, The Beyond, and Zombie, and uh, which was Zombie Two, of course, overseas, and uh, uh, shit, The Gates of Hell, a whole bunch of them. And then we we we, we took Charles Band's Laser Blast. Oh, that's so <laughs> yeah. cool! I've actually seen that on the big screen. It uh it played here in L.A. a few years ago. Well, you've got that on you. I love i would have loved to have seen that i i saw a little bit of it as a kid in the drive-in after seeing star crash for the first time <laughs> that's a good which is the movie that blew my mind i, I love that movie star crash. he was supposed yeah, to make I, laser I, blast 2 i think wasn't he yeah they, what happened with that was that in the empire pictures days charlie put together a poster which you can find online somewhere that just has a, a hand holding a weapon and it says the ultimate alien weapon is back and it was typical of what Charlie did back in those days where he would come up with a poster and he would put it out and he would see who wanted to fund that based on the poster. The Golan and Globus guys did it a lot too. A bunch of people uh, did it in the 80s. I love those. Those are my favorites, those posters. Uh, what's oh, yeah, the easiest way amazing. for people to find your comics? Oh, it's abonpress.com, E-I-B-O-N dot uh, com. Anyway, so we, we do those and we reinvented Laser Blast as a comic book. Um, and what's great about it is people remember the turtle aliens, the stop motion turtle aliens <laughs> in there who come after the guy with the laser gun. And they're always going, <laughs> and, I, and I translate what they're saying, which is usually like, you know, get your head out of your ass, dumbass and stuff like that. <laughs> That's fun. We have fun. And, uh, and we also did a whole thing with Maniac uh, where we, with the, the, the Bill Lustig film, where we did an adaptation of Maniac and we tied it in with Lucio Fulci's New York Ripper. So it's the New York Ripper versus Maniac, the two sleaziest horror movies of the 80s <laughs> in one book. Oh my God, you won't believe who wins. And uh, then we did a Maniac 2, which is still being done. And then, and, uh, and, uh, uh, a sequel to the beyond it's called escape from the beyond i mean there's just so much stuff going on over there that's great and i published my project 51 book over there the one where i wrote all those stories in 24 hours and it's it, it, it's my own little publishing imprint that i started with sean lewis who i mentioned earlier mm-hmm. you know who, who did the beyond those early that early version of the beyond we were never happy with it so we got together years and years later and we redid it we just got a new artist and we we 
I suddenly was good at what I do. And, and, uh, well, you know, it only took 30 years, but <laughs> I, we put them out. Yeah, you can only get them through our website too. Cause we didn't go traditional distribution with any of it. It's not like boom or any of those companies. You can't get it in stores. You can only get it at our website. Plus they're really collectors item comics and all this. I don't want to make this into a plug for my company or whatever, but it's fun. Way. <laughs> and, and, the and art is incredible. Up, I have to, yeah. I have to, the art is oh, thank you. Thank you. We, we work really hard on those. Uh, Pat Carbajal is incredible. And uh, Michael Broom, uh, who did the art for Zombie. Uh, he was working with us years ago on that and uh, has gone on since to design monsters for everything from the cabin in the woods to the walking dead, you know? And so, you know, a lot of us who have cut our teeth doing these things have gone on to bigger and better. And to finish what I was saying a second ago, Stephen, about laser blast, Charlie put together that pitch for laser blast too. But what ended up happening was that it became a different movie. Uh, they brought in one of the writers from RoboCop to direct it. Uh, oh. Not Ed Newmeyer, but Mike Meyer. And he directed a version of it and it ended up being called deadly weapon. And it's, you can see ah, it online. Yeah. We just yes. had, he was yeah. just on our podcast talking yes. about an Iron Man movie he tried to make. Yes, I like Deadly Weapon also. Ago. Yeah. Well, the kid yeah. that finds the alien gun. Yeah. So it's, you know, you see that the core idea of, of, of Laser yes. Blast is in there, but it, but it, it, they decided not to call it Laser Blast 2 because let's face it, it was the mid 80s and nobody knew what Laser Blast was anymore. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> that's it was always the commercial viability of these things, even if you're Charles Band, right? So, um, yeah, so that's that's the, the longer answer to that. Whatever happened to the laser blast they're going to make. And then our comic book is a complete remake of the first movie with lots of new stuff. And it's ultra violent, of course, because everything at Avon Press is pretty gory. We have people just exploding when they get hit with the laser gun oh, and things like that. It's, so, so it's always fun. Are you going to do laser blast meets deadly weapon? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. How did you know? You know the, 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 the press stuff has been real fun to do, and it, we've been totally in charge of it too. That's you know, great. we've 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 been able to license the films because uh, uh, William Lustig is in charge of a lot of that over at Blue Underground, and uh, he gave us his blessing to do the the Maniac comics too, which is great. And we did our own original series, which is why we actually started the company. It was called Bottom Feeder. And even though it's not based on anything specific, the log line to that is humanoids from the deep meets bad lieutenant. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not- the only man who can stop it is the most horrible monster of them all. Right? <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, we did that, which is great. It got a lot of good reviews and it's really, really uncompromising. I mean, that, that was another film script that I wrote for Sean Lewis uh, back in 2010. And he told me, just go crazy, do, do, the, do the nuttiest, sleaziest, goriest thing you can come up with. And I sure did. And we wrote it as a starring vehicle for Joe Pilato from Day of the Dead. Oh, and wow. he was going to be in it. They had funding lined up for a while there. It fell through because we didn't want to compromise any of the sleaziness of it, basically. Um, and we're not sleaziness. I don't want to say it that way. It was just really super intense and uncompromising. And if you read the comic book, which is available, we have a collection available there now, plugging it again. Uh, it's just out of control. I mean, I don't know where I 
came up with some of this stuff. But what was really cool about Bottom Feeder is that our artist is great at drawing likenesses of people. So we, we did a dream cast of like 1980s horror stars. We have Clue Gulliger in there. We have Joe Spinell from Maniac in there as the pervert guy. We have Zoe Tamarlis from Miss 45, who's my favorite actress. Uh, I know she only did two movies, but you know, I'm kind of weird. Um, <laughs> We also have uh, Bill Mosley in there from uh, obviously all those other movies and, and uh, you know, pretty much anybody else you can think of. They're all like, it's like a dream cast of uh, mostly dead actors that, that uh, we couldn't really actually get to be in these movies. Um, so that was fun too. And then we have Wasteland 1989, which is our, our sort of road warrior riff. People kept asking us to do movies like uh, 1990, The Bronx Warriors. Remember all those mm-hmm. road oh, yeah. warrior ripoff flicks from the eighties? Yeah. They kept wanting us to do those. And we were like, well, why should we license one? Let's just do a ripoff of our own. And nice. so we did that and it's a lot of fun. And the, the twist of that is that it's a housewife in the eighties who loves movies and has a whole stack of videos. And um, she gets shot in the head one day and wakes up and she's suddenly in a road warrior movie. But why is this? Oh, geez, something weird's going on with reality. You get into that whole thing I really like of pulling the rug out from under you and trying to figure out what reality really is. I remember, when I first saw the the Matrix, I was like, "All right, somebody's doing what I like. This is pretty cool." <laughs> I just wish it was more than people just shooting each other, you know. I, I, but 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 the the idea of you of everything you know is wrong, is mm-hmm. is my favorite thing in stories, and that was what I was trying to bring to Phantasm. That's pretty cool. Uh, maybe wrapping things up, Peter Ryan, do you have any final questions or thoughts? I, I just want to say I'm probably going to be obsessed with the idea of uh, HBO's Phantasm for the rest of my life now. So thank you for that. <laughs> We're going to stop thinking about that. Westworld versus Phantasm. Let's do that. <laughs> I mean, it does. Yeah, it's a tragedy. because It does feel like uh, your TV concepts would allow for a series. Like it's every episode. It's in a different, uh, different reality. And that's, that's really or, or along those lines. Absolutely. You know, it was, it, I, I think the more times you think outside the, the box with any intellectual property, even if it's your very own thing, the better off you're going to be because there's always a really cool new idea you can bring to it. And, and, you know, when you do a sequel to something, you should always think in that other box. Like that's why we got the road warrior. The road warrior is the great, in my opinion, the greatest sequel of time because it is tonally and, and the, uh, I want to say theologically, but it's like, it's conceptually, and textually completely different from the first movie. It goes in a totally new and different direction. And mythos, mythos, I don't know what words mean. <laughs> it mythologizes the character in a way that, 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 that the first movie really wasn't. The first movie is almost kind of a sleazy revenge movie compared to Road Warrior, which is really an epic reimagining of that sort of man with no name thing. So when you, when you do that, when you free your mind and you think about what else can we do with this, that's when you get the best uh, follow-ups to anything, the best new versions of stuff or just something really cool on its own. You know? oh, absolutely. Uh, and Steven uh, Romano, I never realized we have two Stevens here. Um, yeah. Maybe just to close thing out, want to tell people where they can find you online, find your stuff, feel free to plug away as far as websites and social media. Well, I'm, I, I'm one of these people that, that 
that got off social media. I I think it's a, a cancer on society. But you know, <laughs> can't disagree. <laughs> but but only for personal reasons. You know, I I do. There is an Avon Press Twitter feed, of course, and there's a there's a Facebook. I mean, we are such a small company that we wouldn't exist if we didn't promote on social media. But I don't personally have a a, a presence on Twitter or anything like that anymore. However, I do have a website which is Stephen Romano Shock Festival and you can see all my lovely things there and of course you know i'm also the number one hit when you when you put in steven romano in your google search <laughs> yeah. so if you just want to you're just curious about me just put my name in there and it'll tell you a lot about me there's other steven romanos but i got there first apparently and uh, uh so i'm the number one guy there I, you are my number one yeah you're my number one I, steve I keep quoting batman what the fuck is wrong with me <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Peter Ryan, what about uh, best TV never made? I think this, I think this episode, episodes, we'll see how it breaks out, um, is going to air after you guys have officially launched the new podcast. But where can people find that? I think so. Uh, you'll you'll definitely be able to find us on the same, uh, uh, relatively speaking, same podcast feed as we find you guys on uh, either literally the same or just uh, search best TV never made. Uh, and we'll have our own Twitter and Instagram feed. We haven't actually started those yet. So uh, stay tuned. All right. And you can find us on Twitter at never made film and Instagram at best movies never made. Uh, and Scarlata, would you like to plug the shark doc? Steve and I are making a shark exploitation documentary that has its own social. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. Hell just- yeah. Yeah, follow us on Twitter, please. Shark mo- at Shark Movie Doc. And I think on Instagram, it's just Shark Exploitation Documentary, all one word. And you'll get updates and lots of scenes from weird movies or whatever. <laughs> I can. Wow, I, I will be first in line for that. I'm uh, a big fan of Knock on wood. We think it's turning out pretty good. Um, but. Thank Thanks you. to Ryan, Peter, Mr. Romano. Uh, check out Best TV Never Made. Tech, check out Romano's stuff. Um, we also recommend you download the Electric Now app, which is an app that allows you to watch video of our podcast and other podcasts on the network, like Best TV Never Made. Um, we'd like to thank everyone at Electric Surge, including Bill Ritter and our producers, Mark A. Altman and Dean Devlin. Until next time, this is Josh Miller and Stephen Scarlatta saying we won't see you at the movies. This show was produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.